Shabbat Shalom. Again, welcome to the harvest. God's blessing be upon you and your families and your loved ones for a thousand generations. And for those that are listening as well, may God's presence fill your homes as you unite with us via live streaming as one big, great extended family. So welcome again to the harvest. Now, before we get going, I want to just make some quick announcements. We're in the season of graduations. And so I want to just pause and um, acknowledge those young people that have graduated this year. If you've graduated from high school, please stand. All right. Congratulations. Congratulations. I used to be young. I, I, know, I know what it's like to graduate from high school because I almost didn't. So uh, great school, you know, and then the junior high and then high school. It, for me, it was arduous. <laughs> so anyway, whatever. It's a great accomplishment, and you've done a good job. Thank you. Great. Those that have went on to college and graduated, if you've went to college and graduated this year, please stand. All right. You know, I want to I want to bring Pastor Chris up if you would. Come on up. I want to especially highlight Pastor Chris's accomplishment because he's a full-time staff pastor and we work him and he works hard and he's faithful. He's a hard worker. He's a strong strong work ethic, and uh, on top of his full-time work, he works a part-time job. On top of the part-time job, he goes to school. On top of that, he's a husband and a father of five kids, and I just want to say, in fact, I'm going to say this. There's no way you did this by yourself. Angie, please come up. And Yeah. No way you could do all that by yourself. And so Angie has carried the burden of all these responsibilities with her husband. And this graduation for them is a great accomplishment. And we as a community just want to say that we are proud of both of you. You're great examples to our community. And you got a great family, wonderful kids. You guys are doing a great job, and we appreciate that. So thank you for all your sacrifices and hard work. Chris, do you want to say anything? You know, I just appreciate everybody here as well. Um, you guys, you know, your service to this community that, you know, being on staff, you know, you heard a lot that, you know, oh, you're paid to do that. And it's like, yeah, we are. Um, but it is still a joy to serve the Lord, and we couldn't do what we do without volunteers. So thank everyone here as well that kind of helps take some of that burden off so that we can accomplish all that we're trying to do for the kingdom of God. Yeah. So thank you. Good. And then Angie, do you want to say something about the sacrifice? And I'm just very proud of everything you've done, and I'm very grateful for the privilege to homeschool our kids and to do all the things that I've really honestly fought you on <laughs> and the, the blessings and the rewards in that. That's great. Thank you. And I think we also have a uh, special gift. Shana, come on up and um, give that to Chris. Yeah. 
Pastor Kristen Angie, thank you so much. Love you. Congratulations. Congratulations. And then also, how many people are here from out of town? Got some people here from out of state, out of state, couple, one, two, three, three, I think we got three. You know, it's always great to have people in from out of state. We're so excited about you. And uh, we thank you for your love for the harvest, your prayers for the harvest, all that you've done in the past, all that you're currently doing, even though you're not uh, in state, thank you for helping to make this community a better community. So uh, welcome from out of state. Hallelujah. And I think also, I think what I'm going to do since I'm on a roll today, <laughs> just feeling it, you know, the spontaneity of the spirit. So I am, I'm really excited about the face mandate, you know, going away tomorrow. And uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> face mask mandate. Yeah, face mask mandate. It's going away, and I'm excited about it. And really what it represents uh, in the nation, excuse me, what it really represents in blue states, because the red states have been free for a long time. What it represents in the blue states is that we finally get to get back together for the old normal, not the new normal. Get back to liberty, to living lives as, as God has given to us. And so that kind of opens up the door for the harvest, all faith communities, for their people to come back, to start coming back to congregation and start to get involved once again. We lost a lot of people over the last year and a half, as had many, many congregations. And now that season's coming to an end. And I just want to encourage people to encourage other people to come back. Yes, it's a risk. It's a risk to, to, to follow God. It's a risk to keep the commandments of God. It's a risk to corporately gather together. We, we you know, we might, might get the flu, might get COVID, might get this, might get that, might get in a wreck, might get struck by lightning, I get bit by a black widow downstairs. Who knows? There's risks associated with coming to congregation. There are risks associated with keeping the commandments of God. But I want to encourage you, if you're ready to take the risk, come, please. We miss you. We want you to come back. So please, pray through that and be encouraged by that. In fact, I want to even ask, Ken, can you come up here? Um, can you do stairs? Um, I want, I, yeah, give me a chair for Ken, if you would. You good? He's just going to stand. He's going to stand. He's good. He's good. Thank you, Pastor Chris. All right. Thank you. You know I don't like to talk. Ken, did I, did, did I tell you this was going to happen today? It, why, you know why I didn't tell you? Because I didn't know it was going to happen either. But I just wanted you to share briefly. I'm going to throw you some questions. And I want you to just share briefly and hold that mic close to your mouth. But um, you, you have two lungs from another person. A double lung transplant. Amen. 
And the risk has been so enormous. We didn't even know if you were going to make it through just that, that, that operation. And then through it all, you got stronger and you started coming to church. And then you got COVID-19. He got the virus. Ended up in a hospital. They're like, this is our first double lung transplant patient that has COVID. What are we going to do? He should be dead and, and in heaven, you know, waiting for the return of Messiah to see us again. But God has done some miracles in this man's life. Can't share a little bit about um, what you recently came through with the COVID and, and, and what are you doing here? Without a mask, don't answer that one. I'm not in fear. <laughs> not in fear, okay. Wasn't, wasn't ever. Yeah. yeah. So um, in coming back, did you think, you know what, I just, I just want to be here, I just want to be with God's people, and, and, uh, and, and you, under, you understood the risk of all that, yeah. and yet you came. Yeah. So, so through it all, what, what have you learned? What has God shown you coming through this kind of COVID attack and then rebounding and, and coming back here? What, what are the highlights that God is showing you? Basically, that there must be something more I've got to do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And you do quite a bit already. Yeah. Yeah. So what does your family think? Oh, they wish I was still in the hospital. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. No, it's kind of hard on them because uh, when I had COVID, of course, they couldn't come visit or anything. And uh, so I was there all by myself, basically. Yeah. Well, not all by myself. I had plenty of doctors and nurses coming in the room every five minutes to see what was going on. But yeah. Did you think you were going to die? No, not really. Yeah. Um, and during, of course, during the time when I almost did die, I was on a ventilator and unconscious. So yeah. I didn't really wasn't thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Did did they think you were going to die? Yes. Yeah, they were there pretty was a good possibility. Yeah. Yeah, for about, I think it was like four days. The first four days I was on the ventilator. They, the nurse was telling Eddie that, you know, it could go either way. Yeah. Do you know of any other double lung transplant patients that got COVID and lived? I don't know, but I did have a nurse. I was in the VA hospital. And yeah. She did some research and found out that I was the only double lung transplant who had some, the only patient who had survived a double lung transplant and COVID in the entire VA medical system. Wow, and that's huge, that's huge. Yeah, and they, they were, my transplant was done at UCH and they were, they were communicating with UCH on a regular, you know, many, many times each day. Yeah. Trying to figure out, because they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And they, they couldn't, whatever they did, it couldn't conflict with uh, what my lung transplant people were doing. Yeah, well you know Ken, uh, it's no surprise to you, your wife, your kids, this community, and a whole lot of other people got on their knees and cried out to God, and they prayed for you because we serve a God that heals. He's a healer. He's a healer. 
And uh, many of us got COVID, almost all of us got COVID, uh, but none of us had what you had, a a double lung transplant. And and I can tell you, when we got the information that you were uh, intubated, you know, I thought, I thought, I, I didn't think I'd see you again in this, on this side. Uh, but we prayed, and we trusted God. But I thought, you know what? This may be his time to go because this is, this is too much. And yet God spared your life. I believe your pra- everyone's prayers, because the doctors could only do so much. And God bless them. God bless our health professionals. But they could only do so much. And I believe that you're standing here with us today, such an inspiration, and Edie as well. Edie, you got COVID too, right? Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, God loves you guys. You are so blessed. He has spared your life. You have work to do. Well, as you recall, yeah. it was about 10 years ago when she went in the hospital yes. with, with heart issues. And I remember the doctor calling me out of the emergency room into the halls. And he said to me, if you have anything to say to her, you got five minutes. Right. And, well, she wasn't listening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I'll tell you, um, you know, I told without violating HIPAA laws. I told her when all this was over, I said, Edie, you and I have got quit doing this dance with death. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually a dance with life. Yeah. Yeah. Death is trying to dance with you, but God's saying, stay away. And God has blessed you guys. You guys are an inspiration to all of us and the evidence that God hears and answers our prayers. So thank you, Ken. God bless you. Yep. Okay. Let's talk about Pentecost. It's the season. Today I want to talk about what it means to speak on God's behalf to a lost world. We, the united and corporate representatives of King Jesus, are commissioned and empowered to speak to the lost and to the crazy world that we live in about his love and his redemption. Some will gratefully and humbly respond Others will mock and even attack us for daring to speak the truth about their sin and alienation from from God's love. They'll be outraged with this and they'll lash out. This is always the way it's been since the beginning of human history. However, we will not fear those who can kill our bodies but only God who can kill both body and soul in the age to come. He's the one that we will serve. In the Messiah, we have an indestructible forever life. Therefore, we'll face this angry and bizarre world that we live in with great courage and love as we speak the truth to those in our paths. After all, we are God's authentic and authoritative spokespersons. That's what Pentecost ignited. That's what Pentecost established. We became the authoritative spokespersons of God. 
So let's speak up and let's speak out like never before. It's who you are. It's who we are. It's what we do. Pentecost. Let's look closer at this. Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them. Powerful passage. Powerful event. You know, the Hebraic background to this is absolutely fascinating. This is what is known as the second and greater Pentecost. There was another one that preceded this one. It was the first Pentecost, some 1,500 years earlier at Mount Sinai with Moses on the mountain. This was their first Pentecost. They'd come out of Egypt, led by Moses, signs and wonders, and became the people of God at Sinai. That whole event was attended by myriads of angels. God's presence on the mountain, fire, smoke, lightning, thunder, raging storms, right? I mean, when you read Acts chapter 2 and what it's describing, it's reminiscent of what happened the first time at the first event 1,500 years earlier. They're connected. They're connected. The first one was about becoming the people of God and receiving the law of God. The second and greater Pentecost was when they were empowered as the people of God to live out that law in a powerful and beautiful way. This is the backdrop to Pentecost. Tongues of fire. That's, that's not new. That happened at the first Pentecost. We read that in the Targumim. The sages around the first century commenting on the scriptures. These are the earliest commentaries in Judaism. The Targumists, the ones that wrote the Targumim, the, the, the Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Bible for the Jewish people in the first century. They commented on this passage in Exodus at the first Pentecost. And what they said is this, fire on the mountain, thunder, noise, all kinds of phenomenon taking place, signs and wonders. And then God spoke. And when God spoke his word, they shot out of his mouth. Those words came out of his mouth like shooting stars on fire, like lightning coming out of his mouth. And they saw what was spoken as a fiery language that went out above their heads and returned to God. Actually returned and then actually bore into the tablets the very word of God. That's what the sages say took place. They describe tongues of fire. Tongues, the Greek word for language. Languages of fire. God spoke and his language was fiery. And then 1,500 years later, it happens again at the second and greater Pentecost. Verse 4, it says this, and they, are, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. You could imagine that upper room. 
the excitement, the power, even, even the fear related to, to all the phenomenon that was taking place. This was a very demonstra- demonstrative manifestation of the presence of God. And they were filled with wonder. They were ecstatic with joy. They were, they were, they were just moving around and they were speaking out the glory of God as the Spirit gave them utterance. And people were watching. They heard, they heard the noise. They saw the phenomenon. They, they came. They were like, what is that all about, right? And they were each of them hearing in their own ears what those upper room people were speaking by the Spirit of God. And they were amazed by that. Others thought, oh, they're drunk. They've been drinking, and they're just absolutely out of their minds. Let's pick up the reading. Acts chapter 2, 14 through 16. But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And then he actually quotes Joel. Verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. That's what Joel prophesied. Joel said, this is coming in the last days. In in fact, what Joel says is what all the former prophets were saying. If we go all the way back to Moses, what does God say? He tells Moses to instruct his people and to foretell their future. And Moses says to the sons of, of Israel, He says, you know, you're not going to be faithful and you're going to break the covenant. And God is going to bring judgment and he's going to scatter you. But in the end, by the work of his spirit, he's going to restore you. So this whole idea of things getting better at the end is seen throughout the Tanakh. And Joel is just one of the prophets that are speaking about it. Joel says, in the last days... Which last days, right? Which last days? Right? This is 2,000 years ago. In other words, what they saw, Peter said, is what Joel was speaking about. So the last days were 2,000 years ago. Well, how can that be the last days if we're still here today, 2,000 years later, right? It's because they were talking about the last days of that era of time, the era of the law and the prophets, which would give way to the era of Messiah. Messiah was coming. The Tanakh foretold that. And when Messiah came, the age of the law and the prophets was over. And the age of Messiah began. Luke 16, 16 explicitly states that. So we're in the age of Messiah. It transitioned all the way back then, 2,000 years ago. The last days arrived of that era, 
and a new era began, the era of Messiah and his outpoured spirits. What had taken place began the restoration of Israel and her place in the world today. And through her, the message of Messiah is going out to the nations. And since that time, many, many people from all over the world are entering into the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is growing, growing, growing like that mustard seed. And it's larger now than any other people group. It outnumbers vastly all the other groups. You know, the mustard seed is bigger than all the other garden plants. It doesn't outnumber them. It's just larger than them. And this whole issue of people coming to faith has been such a powerful and beautiful thing over the last 2,000 years. We're the recipients of this. It's an ongoing outport spirit. All mankind is going to receive this. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? What it means is this, to simply speak on God's behalf his words. Just just speaking his word on his behalf at his direction is actually what it means to prophesy. Everyone can prophesy. If you want to prophesy, you can prophesy. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you have the Spirit of God. You have the potential to hear God and speak on His behalf in accordance with His Word. That's what it means to prophesy. Speaking on God's behalf. He says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You say, well, I don't believe in prophecy. Well, the question for you, are you a son? Are you a daughter of God? You shall prophesy. It's almost a command. I almost want to make it a mandate, but that's too scary. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You, this is your legacy to speak on God's behalf. You and I, the representatives of God and his kingdom, to be able to speak on his behalf. What a privilege that is. Now, prophesying is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. It says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Press into God, ask Him for this. Especially ask Him for the gift of prophecy. Especially ask for that one. So you can speak on His behalf in a way that's authoritative, in a way that is uh, uh, inspiring and influential. Verse 2, For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, consolation. Do you think people need to be encouraged? Now more than ever. Do you think that people today need to be comforted? Yes, now more than ever. Who's going to do that? Who's going to exhort them? Who's going to encourage them? The world? CNN? Our present administration? No, that's your job. That's my job. We're, we're the corporate body of Messiah. Our job description is to speak on God's behalf in a way that encourages people, comforts people, builds people up. 
That's what we do. Those are the parameters, by the way. Speaking on God's behalf is, is in the context of edifying, exhorting, and cons- consoling. Not reproof, not rebuke. That, that's not part of the gift of prophecy. You don't get to do those things. Sorry. A- unless you're part of the fivefold offices. But if you're not, then you don't have, you don't have that particular set of parameters. Edification, exhortation, consolation. But you know what? That is so much more enjoyable than bringing a reproof or correction to someone anyway. Yeah, encouraging someone, it can change their life. Encouraging someone can save their life. You never know where people are at. Some, sometimes people are just at the end of their ropes. Buying into the lie to the point where they're even going to take their own life. It's amazing to hear the stories of people that have struggled with suicide almost come to the end of their life and then someone speaks something significant that breaks that and changes their mind and their heart and then they go on to rebuild and and get free of that. It's amazing. You and I, we have the responsibility to bring words of life at God's direction and His timing to those around us to our families, to our wives, to our husbands, our sons, our daughters, our grandparents, our neighbors, strangers, right? It's our job. Having the gift of prophecy does not make you a prophet. I don't care how well you can prophesy. I don't care, I don't care how good you do that. A++. That doesn't make you a prophet. What you have is the gift of prophecy. It's a gift. The prophet is a person. It's not a non-personal gift. It's a person. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says this. And he, Jesus, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. We call these the fivefold ascension offices. These are people that he gives in order to build up the body of Messiah. In fact, it says that, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. He gives these people for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we have all attained the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure and the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Are you wanting to ask me a question during our live streaming deal here? You want to say something, huh? Yeah, see what, see what happens? I try to be spontaneous and now she wants to be spontaneous. What do you say? Should we let her say something? All right, come on up. Um, I just want to talk about prophetic words. Prophetic words can be powerful and can save lives. And it's true what you said. Um, In the middle of the night, I was woken up. The Lord told me, he says, you need to call Mark's sister, which her name was Loretta, immediately. So then I woke up Mark and I says, "Um, you have to call your sister. The Lord told me that you needed to call your sister. Do you want me to? You tell the rest. Okay, so... You started this. When he woke up, it was like, really? He said, 
I don't, it's in the middle of the night. I don't think I'm going to do that. I said, Mark, the Lord told me to call your sister immediately. It sounds like it could be really serious. Well, he calls um, Mark's sister, and she answers the phone, and she's, she instantly said, what did you call me for? And he says, well, the Lord told, it, told me to call you. And she said, I was just ready to, to have a gun to my head. I was just ready to shoot myself in the head. And so prophetic words are powerful, and God can give us words, and we need to act on them. Those words can be very powerful. We need to act on them. Thank you. Yeah, that was... Uh... That was just such, a, you know, we've had several scenarios like that, and it, it, it's always, you know, so such such an awakening. You know, when I, when she told me that on the phone, I was thinking, you know, I just, just overwhelming. And then I got off the phone after I uh, shared with her for a while, um, and I just thought, wow, Don, that was like spot on. You know, just just amazing. And uh, you know, we all have this unique ability to be used by God in all these different ways. We've just got to be open to that. Just got to be saying, Lord, use me. You know, we just got to be ready instant, in season and out of season, and look for those divine appointments. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's powerful. Okay, so the prophet is an official role like the pastor or the evangelist. Let me give you the job description of a, of a apostolic prophet, a new covenant prophet, because the, the office didn't end with the new covenant. All the offices preceded and come through into the new covenant into their fullness. So when we look at this, what we see is this. Prophets have a keen sense of God's will. They are particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction and challenge the dominant assumptions that we inherit from the culture. They insist that the community obey what God has commanded in his word. They question the status quo. Without the other types of leaders in place, prophets can become belligerent activists or paradoxically disengage from the imperfection of reality and become otherworldly. What I want to do in the, in the weeks ahead is focus on those fivefold offices and show how each of those offices play a unique role in uniting and building up the believer so that the believer is equipped to go out and be a witness for Jesus. Now, new covenant prophets are recognized by and appointed to their office through the elders, through credible and legitimate elders. The fivefold offices don't appoint themselves. People don't appoint themselves. Established elders appoint these uh, people to these offices. I've had my fair share of prophets come to the harvest over the last 25 years. They've rolled in and they've rolled out. In fact, every prophet that ever came to the harvest that was not legitimate and tried to influence and direct us encountered two phenomena. 
they encountered a quintessential question and some spiritual direction. And let me say, we've had legitimate prophets serve us in our community. Pastor Norm France, who served us for a long time, is one of our board of directors, prophet of God. We recognize that. Dale Terry, Minister Menorah, they were prophets of God. We've been, we, we have done our best to open the doors to all fivefold ministries in our body. But there's also those that come along that are self-appointed that we have to help with these two phenomenon. First is the quintessential question that I've asked them. Who are your delegated authorities who appointed you and keep you accountable in your role as a prophet? Now, I usually get this answer, which tells me right away I need to move to the next phenomena. They usually say, I'm not submitted to man. I'm submitted to Yahweh. Which brings the second encounter for them. That's the door. I point at it. I tell them, please leave now and don't return. Don't return. See, when people say, I'm submitted to Yahweh and not man, they're not from God. Because God's the one that has appointed and placed into his body, into his kingdom, delegated authority. And that authority comes from him. And all true authority is submitted to authority. Everyone's accountable. Everyone accountable for what God has given to them. Had this one guy come. He was trying to direct me with prophetic words that lasted for a couple weeks. He took me out to lunch. We're sitting at lunch and he says, Pastor, I'm getting really frustrated with you. I said, why is that? He says, because you're not doing what I'm telling you to do. You know, I've come, you know, God has sent me here. I've given you words and you're just like neglecting them. You're not like paying attention. You're not, you know, I don't know what the deal is, but I'm here to, to basically make you accountable. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize that's, that's what you were trying to do. In fact, had you told me when you came that you're a prophet and you came to actually direct us, I, I would have just showed you the door then. He threw himself back. His chair, he, he's just doing this because this chair, he almost fell out of his chair. So he took his two wives because he was a polygamist. And went away. Now, let me tell you, I'm so thankful for Pastor Norm Franz. That guy is a bulldog. When he was here, it was so easy. Whenever someone would come that was self appointed and not accountable, I'd just say, they'd say, I'm a prophet. I'd say, Oh, you're a prophet? great. I said, we already have one. I said, hold on just a minute. And I'd call Norm over. I said, hey, here, here's prophet Norm. And he's with us. He's one of our leaders. And so uh, Norm, if you'll just talk with him a little bit and uh, get back to me on that, I'd appreciate it. And I'd just go back to whatever I was doing. 
And I'd see Norm back there just had his finger, and he's just saying stuff, you know, and then the person would walk off, and I'd say, oh, I don't think they answered the first question appropriately, you know. I don't think they have anyone that they're submitted to. It doesn't look like it, you know. And, and, and I say that to say this, that those that are actually under authority are welcome, and we embrace them, and we love the prophets, and we love evangelists, and we love pastors. We just want to make sure that all of those that are declaring themselves to be so are actually accountable to elders in a local church. And if so, let's work together. Absolutely. Let's help each other grow. That's what we're here for, right? So, it goes on to talk about dreams and vision. Dreams and visions are from God. It's one of the ways that he communicates to his people. This is all about a personal relationship with the Lord. In the New Covenant, we get a personal relationship with the Lord. And that personal relationship interacts in a very powerful way with God, but often in ways that, that are hard to understand. It's just the way it is. So God gives us dreams and visions. The number one mistake people make with dreams and visions is they normally think they're about other people in their dreams and visions. Yeah, most of the time it's about you. It's not about the other people. It's about you. I don't know how many times people tell me their dreams and, and I know right away what God's saying to them, but they think that it's about someone else because in the dream there was someone else involved in that or whatever. I'm thinking, no, you are missing what God is saying to you. He gave you the dream because it's about you. If the dream was about her or him, he would have gave them the dream. You know when people come and they say, oh, I had a dream about you. And they tell me this dream. They, they say, what do you think? And I say, well, I think if God wants to tell me that, he'll just give me the dream. But thanks. I don't live my life by other people's dreams. I live my life by my dreams that God gives me. So dreams and visions God gives us to really raise us up and grow us up in him. Interpreting dreams, no easy task, but it's part of the sizzle of the journey. Don't discount them. Always ask God what the dream means. Not every dream. Most of your dreams is because you had pizza the night before. I'm talking about really amazing just dreams. You wake up, you're in a sweat, you're takes your breath away, and you're like, wow, that was a powerful dream. Yeah, those dreams, you should journal, write them out, and say, God, what's that all about? What are you trying to say to me? What do are, what are the symbols in the dream mean? Pray into that. Try to catch what God is saying to you. I would not have answered the call to full-time ministry if it had not been for a dream. I came back from a conference in Idaho. I was so excited. You know, I'd already felt the call of God in my life. And I'm thinking, you know, it's a full-time call. And, and you know, I, I really need to step up to the plate. In fact, some prophetic words were given to me uh, out at this conference. So I came home. And well, out there, I told God out there, I said, you know, God, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'll answer the call if it's okay with Don. Almost had to change my name to Ahab. I said, if she says, if she says it's okay, then I'll do it. But, but, you know, we've been building a business for two years. We've got a lot of momentum. We've worked really hard on top of the other job that I had too. And so to shift gears and go into full-time ministry, and that's not really a good way to make money, uh, she's going to be really, really upset. So, so you got to talk to her. And if she says yes, 
then you know what? I'll do it. That was a big mistake. I should never have done that, but I did it. So I go home. Told Don, Don, I want to talk to you. Just, you know, pass this by you. And uh, if it's upsetting, just let me know. I'll just stop. I won't even finish. She goes, what is it? I said, sit down. So we sat on the bed. I said, you know, I, I think we're, you know, supposed to go into full-time ministry. And, uh, you know, coming back from this trip, some things happened, and God shared some things with me out there. And I just think, you know, maybe we should maybe, uh, you know, pray about it. She wells up with tears. Tears are in her eyes. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, I'll stop. I, I misread. I thought she was angry. I thought, I should have done that. I knew it. I just knew it, you know. I said, all right. I, she goes, no, no, no. She goes, I, you know, I think this might be a God thing. I said, really? She goes, yeah, yeah may, maybe, maybe it is, you know, and, and maybe we should pray about it. I said, all right, all right. That's good. That's good. We went to bed that night. In the middle of the night, I'm laying there in bed on my side facing her. She's laying on her back, so I got this profile of her because I'm looking at her, right? So I'm looking at her, well, I'm sleeping, but she says in her sleep, out loud, yes. So I woke up right away, and I looked, and I thought, did she just say yes because I was sleeping, right? So I was kind of focused in the dark, you know? And then she says again, yes. And I thought, no way. I did hear it. And she said it again. So I'm just looking, right? Then she says again, yes. Three times. I'm thinking, let every fact be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. We're getting close. You know? I was so excited. So I kind of woke her up. And then when I woke her up, she goes, shh, shh. I said, what? She goes, someone's at the door. We had these, we had, uh, um, sliding glass doors on our master bedroom. She goes, someone's at the door. They're knocking. She goes, hello? Yes. Who is it? I said, Don, there's no one there. She goes, no. I said, no, there's no one there. I said, you're talking in your sleep. I said, let me tell you what's going on. So I told her, you said yes three times. Now, now here's the sizzle. Here's the sizzle. I had just come out of my own dream. I was dreaming at the time that happened. You know what I was dreaming? I was in the audience, and I was at like a Benny Hinn conference. I know, some of you don't like him. I'm at a Benny Hinn conference. Benny Hinn is going around, and he's prophesying over people. And he's saying, you, third row, two, two chairs in. God has got a call in your life for full-time ministry. Do you receive it? You know, person stood up and said, yes. You know, he goes over and says the same thing to another person. Person stands up and says, yes. Goes to another person, and the person doesn't respond. And then he goes to another one, and another one, and he's going around. And I'm so excited sitting in this audience because I got this call of God in my life. And he points at me and he says, Young man, you have a full time call on your life. I'm thinking, Yes. Right? I'm just waiting for him, right? To say, Do you receive it? Right? I'm just waiting. I can't wait. And he points at my wife next to me and says, do you receive it? I said, no, what? (laughs) You're supposed to ask me. It's my life, right? What are you pointing at my wife? But he says, you got a full-time call in your life. And then he points at Don and says, do you receive it? So I turned to Don and I'm, I'm like, it's like taking forever. It was just seconds, but felt like forever because my life is on the line. If she says, no, it's over, missed my call, 
But if she says yes, I'm in. So I'm just looking at her, staring at her lips, waiting, waiting. And all of a sudden she says to Benny Hinn, she says, yes. And that's when I woke up and thought that she said yes. And then she said yes again and again. So when I told her no one's at the door, but let me tell you the dream I just had, I told her. She burst into tears. Then I started crying too. And she says, we're supposed to go into ministry. We're saying yes to this. <laughs> I learned my lesson. You know what my lesson was? When God says, I'm calling you to this or that, don't say, well, let me check with my spouse because you're rolling the dice on that, right? You don't want to do that. So that dream that we had in subsequent dialogue is what led us into full-time ministry. It was amazing in every way, but that was one of the factors that was foundational in saying yes to full-time ministry. You know, I wouldn't have come to the harvest and accepted the lead role in this community if it wasn't for a dream too. I'm going to tell you another story. Okay, another story. Because I wasn't going to be a pastor at the harvest. I already set my eyes on another congregation, a messianic congregation. The harvest was a charismatic congregation. Traditional charismatic congregation. We'd already cut our teeth on messianic Judaism at Roe Israel, messianic uh, community here in, in, uh, in the Denver area. We spent a lot of time there, did a lot of ministry, uh, went through the, the Hebrew Academy, and we were super excited, super excited. And so part of us going into ministry was, where are we going to serve? And I told Don, I said, you know what? I think we need to go to Roe Israel and let uh, the pastor know, the rabbi know, that we're ready to serve full time. Because we were already well connected with him. We already had favor with his leadership, with the community. I said, that's a no-brainer. Let's go there. That's, that's who we are. That's what we're going to do. Let's, let's go join that ship, and, and we'll just tell him, hey, use us. We're ready full-time. Let's do this deal. Don says, don't you think you ought to pray about that? I said, well, I, you know, guess. I mean, she goes, yeah, why don't you pray about that? Why don't you ask the Lord if we're supposed to go or not? I said, okay. So that night we prayed together, bedside. We prayed. And I said, Lord, I'm going to row Israel. I love row Israel. And that's where we're going to go and serve you full time. And if you don't want me to go to row Israel, just give me a stoplight. Because my ministry car, it's in drive. And the pedal's on the metal. And I'm raring to go. So you got to give me a stop sign. Because I'm going. I'm excited. That was my prayer. So I have this friend. He does practical jokes like no one else. I mean, he is like a professional kind of like practical joker, magician. He can do just, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah, so he was always messing with us for most of our lives, doing pranks. So I'm, I'm in bed that night, and all of a sudden on the wall is this laser light and i woke up and i thought what you know i thought oh, phew, tony he's he's messing with me 
something's going on, you know. It's always in the middle of the night. So I got out of bed. I thought, you know what? It's got to be coming from my window, and my window's on the second floor, so he's got to be in the neighbor's tree. You know, I'm thinking, what is this guy doing? And what, what, what's, what's next, right? So I get up to go over there, and the light's gone. I look out. I can't see anything. No one's in the tree. And I'm thinking, what? You know, so I go back to bed, land there. On my side, all of a sudden, I get this feeling like, man, something's going on. I roll over, and again, this laser light on my wall. So I get back over. I sneak back over. I pop up. You know, I'm looking. You know, I can't, can't find them. I look back. The light's gone again. So I go back to bed. It happens a third time. Big red laser light, fluorescent laser red light. So I got up in the morning and uh, I said, Don, uh, like Tony was doing something last night. I said, I got up several times. She goes, yeah, yeah, what was that all about? I said, I don't know. He's like shining something in her room. She goes, you sure? I said, yeah. She said, what was he shining? I said, it was a red light. (laughs) She says, what was he shining? I said, on the wall. She says, you saw a red light on the wall? I said, yeah, three times. She says, uh, like a stoplight? I thought, what? Don't rain on my parade, woman. I said, no, 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 it was Tony. She says, call him. So I called him up. I said, hey, Tony, you shooting lights in my, my room last night? He goes, what? I said, no, you need to be honest with me. You shouldn't I said, listen, you need to swear. I need you to swear that you were not there last night. This is like life-changing for me. You cannot lie. Did you shoot? Were you here last night? Were you messing with me? You shoot a red light in my room? He says, man, I had nothing to do with you and your house last night. He says, good grief. Leave me alone, you know? So I got off the phone. I came back to Don, and I said, uh, yeah, he said he wasn't here. She goes, what would you pray last night? She says, I think you need to go pray some more. So I went in the room, got on my knees, and I said, God, by any chance, were you in the vicinity last night at this time? <laughs> but I said, I said, God, you know, is this, is this you? God said, what'd you pray for? So I prayed for a red light. He said, say, say it out loud. So then I had to say out loud, I prayed for a stoplight. Had to hear my own hearing. And he said, uh, what'd you see on the wall, son? I said, a red light. He said, say it out loud. He said, red light. He says, yeah, you asked for a stoplight. I gave you a big red stoplight three times. Do not go to row Israel. So I didn't. I did not go. I did not present. I'm convinced if Don and I would have went, we would have been on staff there rather than the harvest. Through that dream, God redirected us. And we ended up a short time later taking the, the, the interim a senior pastor role in the harvest. A dream from God. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. This is how God directs his community. It's a living dynamic, a living relationship. I want to encourage you with that. I want to encourage you with the idea that you have the spirit of God. You need to cultivate that relationship with the spirit of God. You need to be open to dreams and visions. 
You need to be spending time in the Word of God so that the Word of God is richly dwelling in you so that you can just give that to people at God's direction and His timing to change lives, to heal hearts, to give hope to people that are hopeless. You and I, we are the dealers in hope. Let's deal it out with liberty, generosity. Let's make a difference in the world that we're living in. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 18 through 19 says, say this. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Timothy's a young, young pastor. He had prophetic words over him. And Paul's saying, don't forget those words, Timothy. It's pretty rough out there. Pastoring 101 can be brutal. You're never going to make it unless you learn to do warfare with those prophetic words spoken over your life. That's how you're going to fight the good fight. Words that God has spoke to you, he has not forgot. Words that he has given to you, he has not forgot. Promises made to you, he has not forgot. They might tarry, they might be delayed, but they're going to come to you. Don't lose hope. Hang on to his word spoken to you. I've seen desperate scenarios in marriages where couples just say, it's over, it's over. I'm saying, no, it's never over. It's never over. Hold on to God. Let's see what he's going to do. He is the one that does the impossible. From business scenarios to marriages to health issues, God is a miracle worker. We have the spirit of God. We are called to go out and heal the brokenhearted and give hope to the hopeless. This is our call. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. I want to encourage you. You are the children of God. You are the recipients of of the Spirit of God. You, if I was thinking of food, are like a big potato with all the dressing. You're just a load. You're loaded with gifts and talents. You're so unique in who you are and you're so needed in this place and everywhere that you find yourself. Do not discount who you are, but give yourself away for the glory of God. Prophesy, love, pray for people, and watch God move in power. And if we do that, we are going to have our greatest summer yet. I'm believing God for great things over the summer. Signs and wonders. We're going to talk about that as we go forward. But we are the people of God. If we can learn how to move in the Spirit, we'll see signs and wonders and lives saved and restored, reconciled to God. And it doesn't get any better than that. What a great joy that is. All right. Shabbat Shalom. Hag Sameach. We're one week away. So I just want to encourage you to have the best time of your life pressing into the Lord this next week. Hallelujah.